Hey friends, you're listening to Go Home Bobber You're Drunk, an irreverent media podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everybody, welcome to Go Home Bible, You're Drunk, the podcast where we reflect on evangelical culture and the Bible, and we drink about it, because this it drives you to drink, or if you're not drinking, you're going to feel like you're drunk. Yes, you have to get through to get through the day. So my name is Justin, I was a pastor for around 13 years in evangelicalism, and I'm discovering that was maybe 13 years too many. But this is my therapy, this is my community, and this is a lot of fun. So I'm going to pass it over to Tori, my host from across the coast. Hi, yes, hello, Tori. I, yeah, I don't know. I never got paid for this, but I was definitely, all of the time that I feel like all the time that I was a Christian was too long. I know not everybody feels that way. Many of our listeners don't feel that way. That's totally fine. I'm very creeped out by these people, like more creeped out by the day. So... um <laughs> Anyway, we're going to talk about how very hmm, interesting they are. Um, but we have a guest today. I was going to say tonight, like people are listening to this at night. Do people do that? I don't know. I don't know. Um, anyway, sweet, awesome guest. Anna Bam is with us. She, sorry, she, her, you, that's in your email. I knew mm-hmm. that. Uh, <laughs> She's a journalist for Reckon News um, <laughs> and talks a lot about purity culture and like the uh, harm that it causes, uh, the havoc that it wreaks, perhaps, on on our society. And it's not good, but she really likes she really likes data and statistics. So Justin and I are very about that yeah. shit. So Anna, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. I'll go for it. Um, my name is Anna Bame. I am a reporter for Reckon News, and I cover faith, sex, and politics, um, which is like the three topics that yeah. don't talk about. Throw money in there, and then you got it covered. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, I, um, I'm just I'm diving into all all the ways that those topics are just so enmeshed. I feel like especially right now, and also the ways that that may have hurt us like what's what's been the outcome of 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 all of this is this objectively a good thing so yeah that that's what i do it is never boring there's always something to talk about with regards to this stuff um so yeah that's me that's what i do well we received quite a gift this week when it comes to the purity culture and and when you hear this it might it's probably going to be a week or two after the fact. So we're going to bring it back up again. <laughs> the 
the Gospel Coalition. Oh gosh, I forget the guy's name now. Jeremy, not Jeremy. It feels like it was written by a Jeremy. Was it Josh Butler? <laughs> I don't know what his name is. Oh God, I don't know who these people are. Wrote an article uh, about Christ and the Church that I, Christ coming all over the church. yeah described things that I don't want Christ to do to me. Um, <laughs> As I was reading it, I was like, these mental images are not Christ honoring. No, like this is not a God honoring. <laughs> Mental image. No. This is not girl defined approved for sh- for sure. No, not at all. And it 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 like started with really like talking about men and women in very reductive ways. What was the name of this article? Did you see that? Because it got deleted by the time I It's got called online today. Sex Won't Save You, but it points to the one who will. Mm-hmm. I was just able to click on it. No, oh really? Is oh. it back up? Okay. Yeah. Oh, this is gonna be great. So Sweet. it was written by Josh Butler. Oh, this is so fucking. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I was trying to read through it to get ready for this, and I kept getting caught up on something and having to like look something up, and then getting caught in some other wacky corner of the internet. And I was running out of time, and I was like, I can't even make it through this article. Yeah, it's. I mean, I, if you have to sit down and take this article, maybe four sittings at a time, it's fine. I wouldn't recommend really anyone read it because um, it. I mean, it's it's graphic in some ways, but it's also incredibly reductive of particularly women, but even even men too. It's like you know, patriarchy is bad for men and women, and this just like weird like you know you give and she receives and oh isn't that like jesus and you know like putting the seed of the word in your body like no i know that's like if salvation is irresistible that's kind of rapey like i'm like this is this is not good so it's a mess it really showcases a lot of the purity culture nonsense that so much of us dealt with and and I don't want to make fun of Josh Butler's appearance, like everybody's different, but that hair is a choice. And yeah, he just, it's like, would not, not the kind of person I would even picture writing an article like this. So. Oh no, I'm not even going to look. I'm not even going to look like his words are bad enough. I don't need to look at his face. Yeah. <laughs> I just, this is so, this is, I'm sorry. This is like such trash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like, you, how are you going to open an article with, I used to look to sex for salvation. Yeah. And then the next paragraph is, That's so, our culture looks to sex for salvation. No, stop projecting, Josh. Like, that is your own bullshit. Deal with that in therapy. Don't, don't put that on the rest of us. Oh, my gosh. It's just like, I tried to use sex to cure loneliness. I'm like, they've been making movies about this trope for like at least 40 years, like rom-coms about this bullshit. Like, what are you talking about? You didn't know that this wasn't going to work. Like, okay. Okay. The the line that really, really bothers me is this. And what deeper form of self-giving is there than sexual union where the husband pours out his very presence, not only upon, but within his wife. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's nothing more generous than come. (laughs) I don't know. I, I feel like there's a, there's a way to have like an honest conversation about sex and what happens during sex and like not bring God and salvation into what is a biological act. Yeah. 
for sure. And and also they're really they're really putting their stake in the ground on the whole like where it's okay to spill seed. We you know see episode eighty seven where we talked about Onan and that whole mess. Yes. So yes. really, you know, but it's it's okay, I guess. I suppose this is Oh, yeah. it is. Yeah, it, it okay. Is. Okay. Cool. According to Josh Butler, got... <laughs> you can plant your seed anywhere. So it's why? it's just, just it's like why wait, go what there? Is, okay, I'm sorry. Is he talking about like pulling out? Is he talking about anal sex? Like what is he talking about? What is being referred to here? Like I really want to know what the fuck he means by the, this. the way it sounds. It sounds like it's definitely s- describing ejaculation to me. That's what this sounds yeah. like. Oh, yeah. It is for sure. And I, I think if the three of us agree that it's talking about ejaculation, it is like whether it meant to or not. Like, well, and okay. Last night I was on Twitter watching the replies to their first tweet, which they deleted. Yeah, I don't know what else. I haven't been on Twitter in several hours. I don't know what's up with it now, but the replies were just insane, and it was so many, and just kept refreshing and like kept piling on, and then the tweet was gone. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah. So other people clearly agree with us or agree that this, the way this came off was. Yeah. It's just, it, it, the whole it's sexuality in evangelicalism is just a shit show to begin with, I think. And, <laughs> and now it's like, this is just like, and yeah. And even like the emphasis on upon and within it's like with a wink, wink, it's definitely talking about ejaculation for sure. So yeah, if folks want to read it, they can, but it's it's just weird. I don't know, journalistically, Anna. What what where do okay. you where does I guess What's maybe where do you think opinion? this is coming from and where is it going? He's writing a book soon, so that's gonna oh, if this is a preview fuck. of things I see I was gonna say a preview of things to come. If but I it's just we're I just had... so deep in the innuendos right now. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let me clear my brain from all the innuendos that are just have been flying around that I've not said or have resisted this whole time. So when I, okay, when I first saw this, I was like, first, you know, my thought was, oh gosh, this is so weird. And then I was like, this is actually hilarious because these mental images are very explicit and are definitely, I would say, involve multiple kinks, different kinks, Mm -hmm. and other people spell that out on the internet as well. Does that make all of us have a corrupt mind? I don't know. It seems pretty obvious in the article, but it reminds me when I see things like this, I'm like, okay, this has happened before. Like this is, this is not new. Mm -hmm. This behavior, these odd comparisons of like in 2001, Mark Driscoll called a woman's vagina the a penis home yeah. and that a man's penis is not his penis it is god's penis sorry i yeah I, I mean we i think if most people are listening to this podcast they probably know about the whole mars hill situation yeah. and mark driscoll is still up to some i mean he's still talking and has a platform so yeah, yeah this type of article is straight out of the penis home theology Mm-hmm. Uh, for lack of a better term it's it's pretty it's pretty rough mm-hmm. yeah i'm like like blazing light so i guess let's back up to like maybe where this came from can you just give some yeah. insight into like 
purity culture? What is it like? I guess, can we define purity culture and what it means and why, how this article fits in it? And yeah, so I'll be very honest with you and say, as a journalist, like I'm very much still discovering every day. So I feel like my um, understanding of purity culture or really all of our, if we're really going to talk about purity culture, we have to have an intersectional conversation about that because the purity culture that, you know, black women experience is its own thing, but it's different in different cultural ways to the white evangelical purity culture experience and the Mormon purity culture experience and the Muslim and so on and so on. So like there's versions of the same ideal in multiple religions that span lots of different people, groups, and communities. So, and I'll admit that most most of my reporting so far has been in the context of white evangelical purity culture, which is what I would put this into the category of. Um, there are different ways that this ideology about how women should be submissive, how women are expected to have children for their husbands, you shouldn't have sex till you're married, it should only be one cis man, one cis woman married forever or else. I mean, that's the root of this stuff, but... This is totally in the white evangelical purity culture camp. And it's such a, gosh, see, I feel like I'm asking the same question as I'm reporting. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't know. What do you think? Um, (laughs) It's such a complex thing because we had the purity culture movement of the 90s. I'm sure, or I hope people know about who Josh Harris is and his book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, which sold over a million copies and very quickly became a very influential kind of guide to marriage for good Christian kids. A girl, a girl ghosted me after reading that book. So that's that's what she said. And that's what, that's the story I'm sticking to. Had nothing to do with me. It was Josh Harris. I totally broke up with someone by saying that God didn't want me to see them. So yeah. Cause God didn't want you to see them. Right. Tori. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's what I said. I was like, I just really feel like the Holy Spirit is telling me that this isn't the right move. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, I was steeped in the 90s purity culture stuff. Yeah. And that, I mean, I mean, Josh Harris is like not a Christian anymore. I don't know what he's up to lately, I'll be honest. But so there's that movement. But this idea of purity goes back a long, long time as like gender roles and like deep embedded things like that. The patriarchy, I, I always feel like it sounds like Oh, that's just a cop out saying the patriarchy, but it that's a real thing. Like it's a real thing that has controlled women and other marginalized people. And we absolutely have to recognize it in the context of purity culture, because like this article very clearly displays absolutely nothing about a woman's enjoyment of sex. It's the woman receiving the husband's extravagant gift of yeah, showing him hospitality is kind of how it's framed. Like yeah, letting, yeah. Letting him um, across the threshold of her holy of holies or something—I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. just, you wouldn't refuse hospitality to your husband, would you? Yeah. See, like it, it doesn't say that, but it's like that's the next. But that's what that's it says. What it says. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the uh, between the lines there. Yeah, totally. And, and I—I mean, I was born in the '90s, but I was, you know, growing up in youth group at church from like 2008 to 2013. So. That was a really interesting time as well. Like that's when Jesus culture was big and it was like all these mega churches really were booming and the internet really 
took off. So that was a, an interesting time to be around all that stuff because I heard all kinds of different messages about womanhood and sex and sexuality and like what's too far and what's good or what's bad. Like there were all these really bizarre like boundaries or rules that we were all trying to make to figure out like how can we live up to this like ideal of like kind of how this article really paints this really weird, wacky image of, of sex. I mean, I think it's weird and, and wacky and I don't know, but when you have the, these high expectations and these high ideals, people do a lot to try to adhere to that. But I think articles like this come from that idea. And also, I don't, it's just, it's just this idea of like refusing. It's, it seems like to me, cause it's obvious that there's, there's nothing about female pleasure, anything like that in here. There's no acknowledgement and also, I I, re- I went and read the full chapter, and I was like, I'm not sure how we went from, like, that into, like, this, I don't know. It, it didn't seem to fully fit the context. So I feel like I need to, like, really dig in and read more about this verse mm-hmm. to, like, understand what's really going on. I mean, I, as a kid who went to a Christian school, I was, like, had to take very detailed classes about theology and this and that. And I took it seriously and I read and I learned the Strong's numbers and learned how to use the Strong's mm-hmm. concordance. Um, and I really wanted to know and would dig dig in with stuff. And I really want to dig into this because I'm just not sure that those words mean what he thinks they mean. Yeah. Entirely. Yeah. And and I, I don't know. I just, I, w- I need more context because the way this is framed is... I mean, it's absolutely is in line with purity culture, but as far as like biblically, I, I, there's a lot of questions here that I have <laughs> Yeah. as a journalist, but also as someone who, you know, grew up and has read a whole lot of Bible and is curious and wants to know. And unfortunately, I've not had time to pull out my strongest concordance this evening to really dig in. But yeah, this is, um, there's a lot here. And mm-hmm. I think the way people are processing this and reacting to it online really speaks to how people feel about this Christian sexual ethic mm-hmm. that he's presenting. And I mean, the whole bride of Christ metaphor, I mean, it's throughout the new Testament here and there, but it's like, take this article, took it to a whole different level. And yeah, like, which is, yeah, which is like, I mean, very like not even, it's not really explicit to say that he's talking about Jesus coming within the church like like it's it's just very like that i feel like paul would be like mm, nope time out <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah yeah so i i can read the segment if people want to just skip ahead it's like this is the picture of the gospel christ arrives in salvation to not only be with his church but within his church christ gives himself to his beloved with extravagant generosity showering his love upon us imparting his very presence within us which like the whole presence thing from a couple paragraphs above was like the husband's dick so mm-hmm. like it's i joked on this podcast a few episodes ago i i can't remember what episode it was it was probably in the 80s somewhere where i i joked about saying like we're all bottoms in christ you know and I feel like the Gospel Coalition, somebody listens to this podcast and just just <laughs> the theology lines just up. ran with wow. that. Like it was a joke. 
I, I actually am. I apologize for it now because I think it's it planted planted the seeds, so to speak, for this monstrosity. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> it's yeah, yeah, and and I want to acknowledge too that like the language in this is hella triggering. Oh, I'm sure for a lot sure. of people. Yeah, like this is this is so heavy. But I think like I mean I'm I get to where I have to process stuff like this with like humor and like what (laughs) like I don't even understand anymore like I like all I can do is laugh at this because I'm I'm just I'm trying to put it together in my head because it uh, something's not making sense but also like the ideals that this promotes are not good and there's lots of there's just lots of very problematic stuff in there that are really not good marriage advice or good sex advice or really healthy advice or a healthy view of really anything. And there's just a lot there. And there's so many things I could talk about related to purity culture and how people who grew up in purity culture often, there's been a a strong correlation between vaginismus, which is basically where the muscles in the vaginal wall completely like shut so that there can be no penetration. It's a, it's a trauma response. It's your body saying, Nope. This is not happening. There's been a, a correlation between that and people who grew up in purity culture or other like extremely conservative sexual ethics around rules about sex and specifically sex only within marriage. So this idea, I feel like, and this is what's so sinister about purity culture to me is like this idea is presented as God's best. It's, it, it was often what was told to me, you know, you want God's best for you. You want God's best for your life. And this is the best this is the best choice. But yet, sometimes the byproduct of some of those ideals is abuse or confusion or just a straight up lack of knowledge that when you're now grown and trying to figure out your sexuality, it's like, wait, what? Like, I'm trying to like understand because I'm, I'm an adult and I'm a, I've, I'm a sexual person. And what do, what do I do now? Um, that's so many people that I talk to, so many friends of mine um, that I talk to in college and even now who are still like wrestling with this learning process of relearning sex ed or relearning themselves after saying like, okay, I don't believe this anymore. So like, what now? What's next? Um, and that can be a really scary place when you've been given such a strict set of ideals. But I just wanted to say that about this passage about like, it is hilarious. And I, and I have laughed so hard and also like held my head over this article, (laughs) but like the stuff behind this is not good. It's, it's dangerous. It's things that we as a society, especially as people of faith who care about the health of our community and the congregation should examine like what what is the fruit what's going on here and and the fruit is not good abstinence only sex ed does not lead to fewer teen births it actually increases them in more rural areas does not lead to lower h hiv transmission rates lower std rates like it doesn't accomplish any of the ideals that purity culture wants to attain right which is one man one woman forever so there's no disease or heartbreak or 
you know, parent, children without parents or whatever, that's deemed as like the safest, best way to do it. But that's not realistic. That's not what people do. That's not what centuries of data about human sexual behavior shows us about how people behave. And also like that's a very that's a very strict ideal to try to expect people to live up to. And when I, when I say live up to, I'm not saying that it is not like, hmm, let me think about how I how I say that. When I talk about living up to and you think about the range of experiences people have in life and what we know about those experiences for religious teenagers and non-religious teenagers, the data is very similar of, you know, losing your virginity, first kiss, like there's like no variation between secular teenagers or teenagers who grew up Christian. There, there is no difference. And also 96% of people will not have, will not wait until they're married to have sex. And I can send links to all this stuff too. So knowing that if we're not teaching people good sex ed, to prepare them to make wise sexual choices, at least, at the very least, by the time they're 18, but preferably they've had consent education younger, because we know that is important for all of this conversation. But it's just, it's, it's just so much. And when you think about that, and you don't give people anything to prepare you for any of that, you're literally setting them up to fail. And data shows that. I can share those numbers as well. But it just, I don't, I don't understand me as, as a person and as, as a journalist who's looking at these facts and looking at this data, it seems to me like it makes sense that there's evidence that this doesn't, this doesn't work. Like it's not, it's not a good sex ed framework. We've had it for several decades now and there's not really a ton of evidence that suggests that that's really working. Are people having less sex? Yes. Yeah. Teenagers are having less sex, but so is everybody else. So why is that a factor as well? So, cause there's lots of, lots of ways that I feel like people try to point to data to manipulate or explain away something that doesn't make sense. But yeah, I said I was a data nerd and, and I, I really am. I, I can't stay off Google scholar. So I just, it just doesn't make any sense to me why we continue to promote this, why the government continues to fund this at a a terrifying rate. And the government is also now funding crisis pregnancy centers, my home state of Tennessee. Governor Bill Lee said he wants to give $100 million to crisis pregnancy centers, which would be a 500 times increase in the amount of money that they've gotten from the state. And they're also going to reject funding from the CDC for HIV prevention, um, and Memphis is a city that is one of the like top five cities for HIV transmission in America. So it doesn't make sense to refuse free money. And where is the state getting $100 million? To do this. Yeah, that's a good question. For crisis pregnancy centers. I just, I don't understand. And I, and I wrote an article about that whole debacle as well. Like there's so many layers here with like, why would someone... Why would you not support a crisis pregnancy center? Like what, why? Because someone sent me an email and they're like, why would anyone not like this? Like they're just trying to, <laughs> they're oh just God. trying to help these women. <laughs> and I was like, okay, let's start from square one. And I did answer her question in my newsletter 
last week and I, I, I thought I gave a, a decent answer to her, but it's like, there's a lot going on here. These places are not medical facilities. Um, I just saw something in the news several weeks ago about a clinic in Kentucky that was using an expired version, an expired disinfectant. Not only was it expired, it was not the right disinfectant to cleanse a vaginal probe ultrasound device. And the disinfectant that they were cleaning it with could be could have been spreading HPV among different clients. So when you've got things like that going on, it makes a that that's really a good picture of like why would someone be upset about these not being regulated medical clinics? And it's like here's this is one example of why these things matter. And when you're talking about health, and when you are, I don't know if people fully understand what a vaginal probe un ultrasound is, but it enters your vagina to take images of what is in your uterus and to not clean that uh, or to not clean it properly is a huge, huge concern. And I think that should concern everyone Um, because people are always like, oh, oh, not my daughter. I wouldn't wouldn't want my daughter. And I was like, well, I wouldn't want my daughter in there (laughs) with the uncleaned vaginal ultrasound probe you know these things matter if we're talking about helping people there needs to be a deeper understanding of what that help actually looks like and it's not necessary in a lot of cases like that's the the extent like the extent to which they want to harm women for making choices that are outside of their moral framework it seems like it knows no end and that is incredibly frustrating to me. Like, you know, there's debates about the HPV vaccine and it's like, everybody should get it. Man, woman, I've been digging into should. some data about that and I don't really have an answer yet, but I have lots yeah, of questions. I'll actually just say right now to enti- our entire audience, <laughs> you should get it. Like I, I just, you yes. know, I feel like it's just basic hygiene, like get the damn vaccine. But I'll say this. I did not get it as a teenager, but as an adult, I did get it. And I'll finish my series, I think, in April yeah, of this year. Good. You know, it's it's a good choice to make. If And you're eligible until you're 45 to get it. Yeah. Yeah. They've been raising they've been raising the age because I like aged out mm. original when it originally came out. And then my mom was was like, well, your sisters aren't going to get it because they're not going to have sex. So it doesn't matter, right? Like that's the argument that they give. They're like, this is giving kids like HPV vaccine, birth control. They're like, this is giving children permission to have sex. Or it's like just making them not be in pain for like a quarter of the month every month. Like, come on. It's, it's really, it's really bizarre. I mean, it's just, it's, it's not about, it's not about improving outcomes, and right? They say it's like, oh, yeah. it's God's best. But it's like, they don't give a fuck about that because they'll keep enforcing it even when it's proven to be reducing like positive outcomes. Yeah. And you can get HPV from the Crisis Pregnancy Center. So like... Or you can get it under your fingernails. Yeah. Like nine out of 10 sexually active people will have HPV at some point in their life. Most of the time your body deals with it, but if you get a strain that is linked to cancer, the outcomes are complicated. And actually the outcomes for men are 
not going a good way. There's more Mm -hmm. and more young men who don't smoke who have cancer in their throat or in the back of their tongue from HPV. That's an increasing problem. But if men would get the HPV vaccine, you know, we could prevent that from happening in the future, deal with what we have now. But I, I feel like HPV was always labeled like HPV and cervical cancer. That was really the only conversation we had. But like, this is not just a women's health issue. This is a men's health issue as well. Like, you know, and across the gender spectrum, you know, whatever you experience, like this is affecting everyone. Nine of 10 sexually active people will encounter it. And getting the vaccine has virtually eliminated cervical cancer in Australia. For an article I I wrote about this, I interviewed a doctor who actually was Australian and got his degree in Australia. And he said when he did his clinical rounds, he saw one cervical cancer patient. One, like one person. (laughs) And I mean, the amount of the number of people I know who, you know, have had a family member die from it, or it runs in the family, or they have a family member who's had to have like multiple parts of their cervix removed because of precancerous lesions. I mean, we could really improve lives if we change this. But again, purity culture is getting in the way of what is really a medical revolution that could really change health outcomes for lots and lots of people. Yeah. And I think it's really telling that they don't want that to happen. When it's like you could be saving lives and they're like, we don't care. Yeah, yeah. That is that to me tells me everything I need to know about like their morality, their version of morality. And like, I don't feel like I need to, I mean, I understand that like, it's important to like have conversations with people, but I'm like, I don't feel like I need to get into that debate about like, you know, there's kind of a line for me of like, if you don't think people are people, then like, we probably don't need to have a conversation. Like if you think some people just can, you know, whatever. Oh, it's too bad. They got cervical cancer. Oh, it's too bad that they contracted HIV. Oh, it's too bad that like, she couldn't feed her baby. You know, it's just like, well, that's, that's a shame. Stuff happens. It's like, no, get fucked. Like, that's not, that's not okay. And when I I think when you're that, like, I don't know, nonchalant, I'm not sure what word to use about people's lives and like the quality of people's lives, which is kind of what it is, right? Like they're usually not like, oh, let's go kill people. But they're like, how much can we reduce your quality of life? And I think that that's super clear with with everything that's going when they're in all the states where they're like banning healthcare for trans kids or trans people, just period. Um, right? It's like we'll just reduce your quality of life until you kill yourself, right? Yeah. And, and it's, the it's, idea yeah. cruelty is just being, cruelty is the point. Like we want to make you suffer, right. like right, which exactly, which even within their moral framework, like if you believe these people are going to hell, like why you have to send them there early. Like that's the, like, it doesn't, that's what doesn't make sense to me is the, the venom and the, and it's a, and it's a new group of people every month. It seems like, you know, whatever their target happens to be, it, you know, and it, and it's always a marginalized group, but it's just like, whoever they're just really mad about in the moment, it changes sometimes with the, oh, by the week. So I'm publishing a story tomorrow morning about pornography. And this current conservative push to either ban pornography or ban porn studios or implement a government age verification tool on every 
website that has at least 33% of the content is pornography. Like you have to enter your driver's license number to get in the site. I love small government. <laughs> yes, exactly. That, that's yeah. <laughs> and there's there's a lot to talk about with porn. This will be the first time I've actually covered the topic. And in the article, I I talk about the study that anti-porn activists love to cite, which is a study that said that 88% of sex scenes include depictions of aggression, but they defined aggression as any instance of like spanking or slapping or anything like that. Now, that is quite common. And before people are like, oh, no, nobody's kinky. A third of all Americans, according to recent data, a third of all Americans regularly engage in like spanking, hitting, hair pulling, things like that during sex. So for them to categorize any instance of any of that is complex. Like, how can you just review anything and know exactly what it is? Um, and also, <laughs> like, I don't we know. Watched, I just, we watched all the porn. And <laughs> we watched all the porn, and I have my checklist. And I did it for Jesus. I don't know. I just, I feel like we want to have this jaded view of sexuality that, like, everybody is so prim and proper, and no one really knows what's happening. I feel like we, we want to pretend that that's the reality, but it's really not because the data that we have about American sexual behavior does not reflect that. And it's even more complex in more conservative areas where they spend more time on Pornhub, at least according to Pornhub's data. It's like Alabama, Louisiana, Tennessee, Oklahoma. Utah. Uh, Utah, yeah, had the most... Most time spent viewing yeah. uh, and pornography. And, and on. strangest, most violent porn viewed from what I understand too. Yes, it is strange. But also, this is interesting, in West Virginia, the top category was transgender porn. And West Virginia has had just a slew of anti-LGBTQ bills going on. And trans porn had, went up a bunch of spaces as well. So like this anti-trans rhetoric but yet this interest in trans pornography like what what does that what, what does that mean this is what counts as like, what research. does that mean like i don't know about trans people let me find out <laughs> like, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i right i use pornhub for all my research yes, all my research what? that nurse during the covid what? pandemic told me not to wear a mask so <laughs> As I was Googling for the Pornhub data today, like oh, at man. one Google search, the very first result was Pornhub.com. And I was like, this is my work computer. I cannot believe that, that result came up, but I am definitely not clicking anything that yeah. says Pornhub.com. I will find this data somewhere, yeah. but I'm not clicking that. Oh, man. Oh, gosh. That's terrible. Yeah. Can we take a quick break? for some capitalism, maybe get a drink of water and whatnot. Yeah. And uh, we'll come back and we have a couple things to do for our patrons. And then we'll talk more about purity culture and the data and maybe even like where we go from here. So, all right, stick around folks. We'll be back. So we're just going to take a quick break from purity culture and we're going to shout out to a patron or two. And also, honestly, all our patrons. So thank you so much for your support. And you keep the lights on for the show. We were able to upgrade our recording software. So hopefully the audio is, is better. And, you know, it's, you know, and it's all improves the quality of the show, improves, you know, things and just lets us do this 
over and over. So thank you so much for your support. For all of our listeners that have shared an episode or done anything, uh, we really appreciate it. We do have a new patron, a new, uh, this, this patron is a prophet now in the second church of the drunken Bible. And, you know, we're going to give them a life verse. Their name is Catherine. And so thank you so much for your support. You are going to give you a life verse. It's, it's your life verse for eternity or for as long as you want it, uh, (laughs) mediated to you by your anointed leaders, Justin and Tori. Really just landed on thick tonight. Oh, gosh. And so no, no pressure, no, no, Tori. No it's, but no, it's all good. This isn't me. This, this is, is the word of God. Is, yeah. I have no emotional vested interest in any of this shit. Yeah. I'm just going to try to not flip to the concordance this time. <laughs> Miss the concordance or a map. That's our job. Uh-huh. Yeah. Let's do this one. Okay. Okay. Oh, it's Job, guys. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Job 922. <laughs> Okay, Job 9.22, it is all one. Therefore, I say he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, man. (laughs) Yin and yang. Yeah, it's both. So, wow. um, What verse was that? Job Job 9.22. So, thank you very much, Catherine. Very much appreciate you. Now go forth and destroy the wicked and the and the, and the and blameless, blameless just everyone. everyone it's equal opportunity yeah. chaos you know i those verses are like some of those verses especially near the middle there ecclesiastes and job it's like god kills everybody folks <laughs> like just deal with yeah. it he just he got tired <laughs> bad day I, I i remember um when i took my old testament bible class in high school this was actually funny because this is how it is when we read through first and second Kings. And the theme was like, there was a King. He did a thing. God didn't like it. God killed him. There was another King. He did another thing. It was still the wrong way. God didn't like it. He killed him. There was another King. Like it's just this constant repeating cycle. Kings, yeah. Kings getting it's buffed. a lot. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a lot going on in the, those middle thick sections. Oh man. So thank you very much. And all of our listeners, um, this has been a great ride. And we are, we're now, this is going to be episode 90, I think. So we're officially on the march to episode 100. So get, mark your, mark your calendars, I guess, for (laughs) 10 ish weeks from now. 10 ish weeks from now. We'll have our 100th episode and it'll be great. It'll be great. It'll be the greatest 100th episode you've ever seen. I just had a really fun idea for that, yeah. actually. Another really fun idea, oh, a different one. So Excellent. We'll see. We'll, we'll see it. if we can make it happen. So so we're back to purity culture now. And this work. <sighs> that bullshit. Yeah, Tori, you were furiously taking notes. I, I was. I, I noticed that, and it made me nervous. <laughs> and it made me realize that that's exactly how I make other people feel. Um, <laughs> so, Tori, I, no, I want you to a- I, ask yes, the questions. Clear the note sheet for us oh god i mean so honestly it was like i just i was thinking about all of this all this shit from from the article and i I'm, yeah i do that all the time i do that in therapy like my therapist is like well i'm glad you're taking notes <laughs> you take more notes than the therapist yeah i do i do <laughs> take more notes than my therapist yeah because I, I you know i was just i was just sitting here and thinking about like how this just the way that this article explains like their sexual ethic mm-hmm. essentially mm-hmm. yeah um like 
I don't even think it's on purpose. Like, I don't think they're meaning to give it away. It just like all kind of falls out because they like can't, can't keep it in their pants for Jesus. But yeah, I mean, just, just the language. I like, I was really, I was really struck because Anna, you'd mentioned consent and I don't know if we've even talked about this on here, but I know I've talked about it on Twitter, but evangelicals try to make either make sex or conflate sex with like a form of worship. Yeah. And that is really, that's like a really fast way to like take someone's autonomy away. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Because again, of, of this framing that sex is a thing that's being done to someone. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not participatory. It's not mutual. And like in, like in this article, like it, it literally says verbatim, sex is an icon of salvation. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they meant to say image or. I'm just, I mean, Y'all know that I'm I'm here for like magic sex rituals and I think that we should not have gotten rid of sex in Christianity as a form of worship. Yes. Like I'm I'm very here for all of that stuff, but this article kind of reminds me of like all that medieval art that's just like horny as fuck and like extremely queer. Picking dicks off yeah, trees. It, <laughs> yes. uh, def- that was definitely what I thought of too was like almost like a, like a sex ritual kind of thing and that's really and but it's described like a ritual, like consummating yeah. the marriage is yeah. like mm-hmm. that's when you're re- really married. And I've talked to women who had vaginismus and were completely unable to consummate their marriage for years because of the trauma from this. So it's like that invalidation of like, oh, well, I'm not really married. Like we didn't consummate the marriage, or I can't give this to my husband. So that mm-hmm. somehow makes me less. Of mm-hmm. a person, yeah. but what should happen is like should see a doctor. Like we should try to understand like what's what's going on here. What what's causing this? And what you find is probably going to make people a little uncomfortable about the reasons why vaginismus is connected to purity culture teachings. And and that's that's the truth though. And um and and I'm I'm going to keep talking about it until I I guess I stop or whatever happens, I'm just going to keep talking about it because I feel like this is something that is so taboo still and it's important and it's literally affecting our health, like our, our literal health outcomes. Our lives are being shortened because of ideology that leads you to make decisions that are detrimental for your own health and wellness. And that should be noted. Mm-hmm. Totally. I mean, yeah, they, they actively try to keep information from people, I think, especially mm-hmm. kids and women honestly. Mm-hmm. And I think that that, I mean, obviously like data shows that that severely reduces people's outcomes. I also, I also think that I, I feel like at least in evangelicalism, like the more extreme people are with like the sexuality piece. Cause like the church that we went to was pretty like when I was in, in junior, junior high, when I was in youth group, the church that we went to was fairly liberal and inter- like we, they weren't reading like I guess dating a bi like dating was fine mm-hmm. and whatever um couldn't have sex obviously like if you had sex you'd get called to the front of the church to repent oh, God. but they don't want people to have information but I feel like there's this kind of correlation between like Bill Goddard and like the Duggar situation I feel like there's there's a correlation between like keeping as much information about sex away from your children as you possibly can and like really extreme like extremely violent and like not okay just beyond the pale forms of of sexual violence against people yeah um 
I'll be honest, I've not dug into that question and I don't know what data is out there, but I would love to know as well. I mean, it's just like it's I and I remember several years ago I read an article about how there's also like this huge um this huge problem with protecting children from sexual predators on the mission field because mm-hmm. lots of missionaries are not not married and so and like I think I said this last week but like the wife is supposed to be like a container for the husband's like sexuality, sexuality. Yeah. like yes. supposed I was to keep it told all that. right right I wasn't literally told that but I was just that, that was communicated still so it wasn't yeah. it wasn't words but it was very clearly communicated it's like all we have to do is like put people in this container right like we just got to put the man in the container it's fine it doesn't matter that fixes the problem yeah. it clearly doesn't but again it's like they're trying to keep information from people which tells me it's not about like people's outcomes it's it's about it's about control and power and and ultimately i i would argue causing harm i don't think that people who want power over others want that with like good intentions yeah like i just don't mm-hmm. think that's possible yeah. personally and and you're being told like as as a man you're being told that you are uncontrollable like mm-hmm. you are out of control so it's normal that you are you know that and also, like, what is defined as a sin that shows that you're out of control is, like, basic thoughts, you know, like, or, mm-hmm. or even appreciation of beauty. Like, there is a pretty girl there. Like, well, God, I better not notice that fact, because if I do, then that's just my uncontrollable mind. You know, like, and so you're constantly taught, like, you're uncontrollable. You need to find you a wife to tamp that down, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like on both sides of the equation, it is, it just does it's not workable. Like, you know, either, mm-hmm. you know, for, and this is mostly from a cishet hetero kind of perspective, but like both sides of that don't win because mm-hmm. like yeah. men are just revved up all the time in evangelical cir- circles. You're a monster. You're a sexual machine. You can't, you know, you, but, but you're more than that in Jesus kind of maybe, <laughs> Uh, if you find you a You're wife. You're the ultimate authority yeah. on earth. And it's it's like and and women are, yeah, they're they're supposed to be like, yeah, the containers for all this like pent up sexual frustration. So it's like we just rev all these dudes up and they're like, well, mm-hmm. you find you a wife and that'll stop it. It's like, no, you've just made a sexual dysfunctional man, a sexually dysfunctional right. man and a woman who's probably gonna have a lot of issues as well. So mm-hmm. good job, good job, evangelicals. You've like fucked up marriage, um, which but is like you know, your priority. The- if y'all remember the um, Atlanta spa shooting, yeah, mm-hmm. do you remember that in 2021? Yeah. The anniversary of that is very soon, I believe. But but yeah, the guy said he had to kill these women because they were too tempting yeah. for him. Yeah, and it's like, oof, like yeah. all of the responsibility is external, yes. and like yeah. that's that's rape culture. Yeah, what, and what, is what, your what was what was she wearing? Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. That's what like, is your. Is your temptation a license to kill? Like, I don't, I don't understand that logic, but I find it the fact that he specifically said temptation and the particular Mm -hmm. church he was really involved in Mm -hmm. should make us ask serious questions about what are the outcomes of these ideologies. Cause right now it seems it makes sense to connect a line between these, this pure, this wacky purity culture, sexual obsession and Mm -hmm. violence. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's interesting, too, because, you know, again, like 
and this we've said this on this podcast many times that most of these evangelical and conservative spaces don't actually care about the Bible only so much as it can prop up their ideology. Because like if we if we actually look at the Bible like multiple times, it says like test the spirits, measure the fruit like, you know, of teachings. So mm-hmm. it's like, like OK, we're going to do that. We're going to gather data. We're going to look. Is this teaching working? It doesn't. It doesn't produce the outcomes it claims to, for one, like, you know, kids still have sex outside of marriage. People still cheat on each other. Like, and if you tell them how to protect themselves, they're less likely to get pregnant or get disease or, and people are still gay. Like, so none of your, none of your methods work. So yeah, exactly. I I got in trouble as a youth pastor many times because I would talk about consent. Like, and I would talk and I would say like, what is a good sexual encounter? Like none of you are going to have that wink. But mm-hmm. what is a good sexual mm-hmm. encounter in, in marriage, wink? You know, mm-hmm. like it involves consent. It involves a certain amount of adult responsibility. Like, it, you know, there's certain things that are involved in just being healthy and happy and expressing your sexuality. And people are like, oh, you can't tell kids that. Like, well, for one, the kids that aren't going to have sex or the youth group kids that, you know, their moms will always get mad at me. You know, like. They're just learning what good sex is in marriage. And for the other half of the kids that are already fucking, like, mm-hmm. I hope at least they can learn, like, consent protection, basic, basic yeah. stuff that they're not getting from school because y'all have invaded the schools. So now I at the church <laughs> have to do this. Like, I should not be the one doing this, but here we are. And yeah, I, it didn't last long, but I would like to think that a few kids learned that they were allowed to say no. Yeah, I, I remember learning about the like the explicit concept of consent. Consent was really laid out to me when I was 18 years old, taking an alcohol EDU course as a freshman in college, like to start college, like started with that. And I was like, mm. oh, hmm. And like all these things are reorganizing in my head. And I was like, wait, okay. And that made me ask a lot of questions. Like little baby 18 year old Anna was like, Hmm, this, this makes me think differently about some things that I believe about sex and you should. And I mean, I knew obviously that, you know, like I was told, like, don't let people touch. If someone touches you in a certain area, or if you feel uncomfortable, like, you know, you should tell your parents or whatever. I knew those things, but like the Mm -hmm. nitty gritty of consent and especially the way female, the female role in sexuality is explained in purity culture. It was like, Mm -hmm. Consent is expected to not yeah. consent is to it's sinful. It's sim- yes. That's and how it's they like, frame it. and if that's I don't consent, if I don't consent every time and my husband leaves me, that's my fault. Yeah. Cause I didn't put out enough basically. Right. And, and when you, when you put women, women with no sexual experience in that state of mind about what is expected from them in a relationship, that, that's just really harmful. And it, it makes consent blurry, I believe. Yeah. I also think that it feels a man's entitlement. It feels like he's entitled to get whatever he wants from his mm-hmm. wife. If that means, you know, doing a sexual behavior that she's not comfortable with. Because if you're not comfortable with something and you do it anyway, that's not consent. And, and requiring that is violating someone's consent. And 
Those lines get blurry when you've got that level of shame tied around your sexual performance and the holiness of your marriage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's so and it's really odd the way that they're like, your body, your body is bad, right? Like your body is sinful. It's a bucket of sin. We still need to make those t-shirts. And like it needs to be redeemed. And like literally the framing in this fucking article is if for like for a woman in a cishet marriage, like that redemption is yeah. sex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The husband having sex, like you being there, you don't have to participate, yeah. but you have to show up. Yeah, uh-huh. Right. Like you don't have to enjoy it. That's not really right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it's, and, it's, it's and also salvation. Com- yeah. And every conversation about sex when it comes to like, especially like if you're talking about like when you should say yes or when you should like be having sex. I feel like there were always these conversations about women being explicitly told you are expected to always say yes Mm-hmm. because your husband needs sex. He needs this physical thing. Oh, like, right. Yeah. This it's is a biological important. need. Yeah. yeah. It's important for him, but absolutely nothing at all was mentioned about a woman's right to pleasure yep. and sex and learning how to ask for that as a married person is hard. Y'all mm-hmm. like, how do you, how do I, it's, yeah, it's, it's really difficult. And when you, when there's all these blurry lines because of the strict, the strict role that you've been given and you feel like you can't and don't even know really how to bring up very, what should be regular conversations that people in a sexual relationship are hopefully having. I hope you're talking about the sex you're having and that there's mutual consent and enjoyment happening, but it just made it so difficult that it was like, I don't even know how to ask about this. I don't know how to talk about this. Like I remember, and this is another story from early in my marriage that I guess I'll vulnerably share. I remember early in our marriage and I was like wanting to initiate, but had no idea how to do that. And it was like this freeze response. Like I I was feeling like I had this freeze response every time I would think about initiating or think about how I would do that or whatever. And it like kind of broke me one day and I was just like, got super overwhelmed. And I was just like, this is not normal. Like what? Like, cause I knew in my head, like logically the way I felt and the way my body was responding didn't make sense if what I was doing was good and holy and, and natural and beneficial at this point. But mm-hmm. my body was still having this very intense response and trying to fight that while also trying to get to know someone on a sexual level can be a lot for people. Yeah. And mind you, I don't think every woman who grew up in purity culture had the same experience that I did. I only know my experience and the experiences people have shared with me. Mm-hmm. And I, I only know of those experiences, but all I have is what is my own experience. Yeah. And I know from that, that that's really difficult. And I know from the people I've interviewed and talked to that it can make discovering your sexuality pretty turbulent and it doesn't have to be yeah. like this. There, there are better ways to teach people a healthy spiritual sexual ethic or a completely not spiritual sexual sexual ethic. Like truly there are many ways to have this conversation that could be so much better, (laughs) just Mm -hmm. so much better than what we have now. 
Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think it would be better even for people who are in purity culture or who think, you know, people who are in cishet monogamous relationships, like in, in the church, it's like, well, you're also going to have better sex if you can communicate, right? Like you're also going to have better sex if you get to the point eventually. And Justin, I've talked about this before, like being able to admit that you have needs, right? Because you're coded to like not have any needs in in those spaces. Like never mind wants. Like never mind wanting a thing. Like mm-hmm. you are not allowed to have needs. And I think that I think that people really don't. You know, I, I've obviously we've all heard these stories. I don't actually know how frequent they are. I just know that like pastors that preach patriarchy talk about them coming up frequently of like men complaining that like their wife doesn't want to have sex every time they want to have sex. And it's like, well, again, your wife would probably have a better time if you could have a goddamn conversation. If you treated her like a person, like like maybe she would, maybe she'd want to fuck you. Like that. It's wild how that works. It's it's, yeah. It's wild. How honestly, how easy it is truly, but there's the bars on the floor and they listen to right go under it. They just can't. <laughs> they're, they're like digging, a, digging hole. Yeah. a hole. But like it was. And I, as I like realized, like for me sitting there, like a year into my marriage, like, uh, how do I ask for this? Mm-hmm. And it's like, this is not okay. Like this shouldn't be happening. Like this is not, this is not, what I want to have going on yeah. and I, I'm frustrated and like, I, I mean, I was, I was legitimately confused cause it was like, Whoa, <laughs> this is the opposite of what I was told. And I, and now obviously I feel like I learn more every day about, you know, deeper understanding of those reactions I had and explanations for what may have been happening. But it's just, yeah, when you, when you're still stuck in that thing, it's not just like, just a wedding night thing like this can be something that affects Mm -hmm. people for a very very long time it's i mean there's i've heard stories of like people i know even like men experiencing erectile dysfunction as well like in their in their Mm -hmm. 20s because yep they're like you know this was you know sex is this awful nasty terrible thing and so you should give it to the person you love the most um (laughs) Uh, you know, and so that that impacts people and it and impacts women, yeah. I think, a lot more viscerally, maybe just because the messaging is different. But it impacts, you know, people of all all gender shapes and sizes in different ways. And mm-hmm. this just terrible view of sex and what it even means to be a sexual person. And it, it's almost like it just bifurcates you like there's your normal holy life. And then there's this like thing you do when you're naked sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, like it's, you have to integrate that stuff where it goes to a dark place almost every time. Yeah. I was just actually, I did another podcast interview today as well. So I guess today's just podcast day. (laughs) Anyway, I was, I was describing to her, like as a teenager, I felt like I was like thrown into a cage and it was like me. It was like, I had like my faith, like my religious views, my cultural religious views or like my sexuality. And it's like, okay, pick one, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, or you're looking at yourself and, and I was looking at myself and my sexuality and I saw like my faith on one thing and puberty and like my changing body was just like, ah, no, (laughs) no, no, no. Like what? It was just immense confusion for me. Mm -hmm. And 
people say, oh, that's so sad. And I'm like, I don't want you to be sad. Like, I want you to realize that talking to kids about their sexuality in this way is harmful and you should change. That's, this is not really like a pity thing. I feel like I'm sharing so many stories and people always have this odd reaction, but you just can't do that. Well, I think your work's important and you're just sharing your stories is important because it, it normalizes something that I think a lot of people already experience, but they're maybe too afraid to share it, too ashamed to share it. And, 100%. and well, we're not given the language no, to yeah, share it. That's true mm-hmm. too. Yeah, for sure. Because purity culture was not called purity culture when I was in it. Yeah. You know, we didn't have that word. It was just the rules. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was just the, this is the way things are. Yeah, yeah. This is what you do. And the adults teaching us, like the baby boomers who, let's be honest, fucked everything that moved. Like <laughs> they had way more sex than millennials have had. Way more. And they're losing their shit about like Gen Z and Gen Z is not having any sex at all compared to. Yeah. Baby yes. like, and so that, that feels like the hypocrisy. They're like, yep. Purity culture. That's the way it's always been. All right. It's like, no, <laughs> no, no. Uh-uh. like I've saw mad men. Did y'all read the Bible because like, let's start there with the, the relationships that do not meet that definition, which is all of them. <laughs> Like there's really not a relationship structure in the Bible that is the nuclear family that waited till marriage and had two kids. Yeah, no, no. And as Brad Onishi said, like like, the one person that kind of did have it was Job and God just killed all of his shit. Murdered his children. (laughs) (laughs) So if you do achieve it, God will just take it away from you. So that that puts a little more context as to why Job's wife said, curse God and die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Like everything, everything was lost. It's like, oh, God was, God was just playing poker with Satan one day. <laughs> and it was like, well, yeah, go nuts. I, you know, which I'm like, just totally this as an aside. That's the most messed up scene in the Bible when you believe that Satan is a literal <laughs> thing. And, and the God, like they they play together. They talk like. When, when is, why? <laughs> like, I guess what is, uh, I guess, what do you see? And this is a kind of a question maybe for all of us. What do you see as a way forward out of this baggage? I mean, I think Gen Z in some ways is like, fuck all y'all. We're just going to do our own thing. But I, I mean, for those of us that grew up in it, and I think honestly still going to therapy over it, what is a, a way out. Obviously it's not dead because there's this Josh Butler writing this mess. How do we get out? What is a way forward and burn it down is a valid answer, but yeah. What do you see as a way out? I mean, when I think about this, you know, there's like three versions of me in my head with different answers, you know, of like, how do we fix this? um, Or what should we do? I think step one, and maybe this is an idealistic thought for me. I, idealistically, it would be great if people could observe the data and make an informed decision about what works and what doesn't. Because we know that this doesn't work. I feel like I've said that 100 million times over the last two years. Does it work? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. So once we acknowledge that, the question is, well, what's better? Because the response that I get from people is like, Oh, well, if we're not going to teach them abstinence, what are we going to do? Have swinging parties at school? And it's like, no, we're How not. How come they can't ever imagine like, like a middle ground? <laughs> it's always yeah. the complete opposite direction. Yeah. Yeah. It, it always goes in the extreme. And I, 
I don't know if that's a Freudian slip or not, but Freud was also hella problematic about sexuality as well. But that's not what happens when you give people comprehensive sex ed. Like there's even data that suggests that people who got a comprehensive view of sex ed, that that meaning it was inclusive. It was, the language was was inclusive of LGBTQ people and LGBTQ relationships. Mm -hmm. The language was accurate, medically accurate about um, how condoms work, how birth control works. Like when you give any, when you give people clear instructions on how to use these simple and effective tools we have like condoms Mm -hmm. to prevent disease and prevent pregnancy, people have fewer sex partners throughout their life less chance of contracting STIs or HIV, less likely to have a teenage pregnancy. Like the, the overall like health and life satisfaction outcomes are better and seem to be much more in line of what the purity culture ideal hopes to attain. Right. Yeah. Like I would think that I don't, I don't know who decides the rules of purity culture and what controls the chaos that created the story and the chaos that's been on the internet. But when you give people information, they make better choices. And if I was, you know, the leader of purity culture and I was looking at data and I was saying, I want to improve the lives of people and I want fewer teen pregnancies. If you looked at the data, this is what you would do. You would give people accurate information give them access to birth control, give them access to the resources they need to actually prevent pregnancy and disease. Because just telling people to not have sex obviously doesn't work. And only four out of 100 of us wait until our wedding night to have sex. So, I mean, you can, you can want to make that number ideally better, quote unquote, whatever that means. Even say it's 20, like that's still not great. (laughs) It's still a massive failure. Yeah, like, (laughs) we have to be realistic, because like, improving people's lives and improving people's like actual problems or the issues, you have to look at the honest reality of what's going on and what works and what doesn't. So I think, to, to finally answer your question, I think we have to really have a conversation about comprehensive sex ed and what that what that could look like, and how how do we like make that happen? Cause here's, what's complicated about, cause like people ask, Oh, what's better. Oh, we could have comprehensive sex ed, but here in America, that's very complicated. There's no federal mandate for sex education, even though there's federal grants to pay for abstinence only sex education. And so that means it's really left up to the States to decide what they want to do and each state legislature to decide what they want to decide about the state which ranges from states having like a list of curriculum that you can pick from or states just saying school districts do whatever, hire whoever, just teach abstinence. It really, it's a huge range of like what sex ed laws currently are and to organize that and make that better. I mean, that would take a massive effort to make all these changes, but I think we really need a more comprehensive view of sex education Mm is especially when it comes to make issues of consent, discussing consent and sex ed, Mm -hmm. and also discussing LGBTQ and gender issues as well. Because if we've got States that are saying like, Hey, 
you don't have to cover prep for the gay guy that works for you because you don't like that he's gay. Or Mm -hmm. we've got Tennessee is cutting HIV funding in a very vulnerable area. Like those, there's these active efforts to already restrict access and information. Mm -hmm. And they're, there's just real consequences. I've, I've said it over and over. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's similar to with, uh, the like abortion debate in evangelicalism, like, like mm-hmm. they want fewer abortions. Okay. Well, here's the data showing how you do that. You know, comprehensive mm-hmm. sex education, you know, making abortion, you know, making, making the friction to getting an abortion, you know, very, very easy to get. Like shockingly, when you have a culture that embraces women's health, like, you have fewer pregnancies, unwanted pregnancies. So it's, yeah, again, like if, if that's what they want, like they don't seem to actually want that. It's, it's mm-hmm. you know, typically yeah. about punishment. And most states that even have sex ed laws don't have a requirement that it be medically accurate. So like I learned most of what I know about the, t- about the reproductive system from scarletine.com because that was the first internet resource out there. But People should have that, you know, it shouldn't be taboo. And I mean, the content I'm not, I'm making is not for children. Like I want to make that clear. Like I'm not, (laughs) I'm not trying to like write children's sex education curriculum here with my work, Mm -hmm. but I want to feel like I can give adults, give people tools to relearn things. If, if they're, you know, trying to find a new place to start with, coming out of purity culture, or if they just want to have a better understanding about how these ideals inform our cultural opinions about women and gender and sex, and just get a a deeper understanding of what all this means, because it's, it's just, it's everywhere. It's all the time, constantly, like not even just sexual imagery, but all of this fear and concern about sex as well is everywhere. Any, any final thoughts, Corey, or any final questions? Can we get through all your things? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Got through all your notes. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for coming on the show. Yeah. Where can I plug Reckon? Yeah. Yes. Go ahead. Do it. Plug all the things. Yeah. So, y'all, please go check out Reckon.News. We are at Reckon.News on Instagram, Twitter, all the places. That's where you can find us. And we'll put a link if in you the like show what- notes too. Yes, I'll have a link and I'll, and I'll also have some links. Well, I'll send you guys the links for the things I mentioned, but you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I'm at underscore Anna Bame in all the places. That's A-N-N-A-B-E-A-H-M. But I just launched a newsletter all about this stuff called Matter of Fate. Yeah. And it'll come to your inbox every Wednesday. And you can sign up for that on our website. And I've got the link in all the places on my socials too. But I'd really love if you read it, put a lot of thought into it. And I'm really, really excited that I get to talk about this. Um, but we've got lots of other yummy stuff at Reckon. We've got our entire Black Joy team is incredible. Embracing, um, instead of embracing Black trauma, embracing Black joy and Black wellness. My coworker, Star Dunnigan, started that project. And it's very, very cool. Gosh. And, and we just keep hiring more and more people at Reckon. We're really growing right now, and I'm really, I'm really proud to work there and proud of our coverage. So, um, yeah. if you're looking for, um, you know, fresh thoughts on how people are reckoning with our American culture, check out Reckon News. Yeah, and that's I would say it's R E C K O N. 
Yes. R E C K O N. Yeah. I was checking out the site earlier and it's, yeah, it's, it's a ton of articles and information. It's, it's really well done. Mm -hmm. So uh, people should check that out. So yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been really good. And we're, I feel like we're constantly grappling with purity culture and, and they man, they served us up something wild this week. So thank you for all the work yeah. that you do and sifting through that and, you know, making, making it something that people can navigate. That's, that's good work. I just, I wish it would have dropped on Tuesday so it could have been in my newsletter on Wednesday. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> it's Cause now it'll be a week old, but I'm also going to bring it up later. Oh yeah. Um, sure. Cause I, how can you not? I feel like this is going to be talked about for a while. <laughs> so thank you so much. We are um, Go Home Bible. We're at Go Home Bible on all the things. If you want to join our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash Go Home Bible. Thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye.